Welcome to the Freshman Foundation Podcast, helping you make the jump from high school athletics to the collegiate level and beyond with your host, Michael Huber. Hey everyone, it's Mike Huber, founder and CEO of the Freshman Foundation and certified mental performance consultant. The Freshman Foundation Podcast is preparing young athletes and families for every next step in their athletic journey. If you're enjoying the podcast, then please subscribe, leave a five-star review, and share with a friend. You can find the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening to the Freshman Foundation. How is Rachel Duffy helping parents become elite performers? Parenting is hard. I speak from firsthand experience as I have two kids of my own. When sports are added into the equation, parenting gets even more stressful. As elite performers, parents must have their own strategies for maintaining calm, focused confidence to best serve their young athletes. My guest in this episode, Rachel Duffy, is a certified conscious parenting coach. With over two decades of combined experience as a family lawyer and parenting coach, Rachel has spent her entire adult life in the trenches with families. Rachel helps families create lasting change by addressing the root causes of family relationship issues. In episode 51, Rachel shares her thoughts on how to build stronger connections with her children to withstand the emotional roller coaster that is youth sports. I'm excited for this conversation. Let's build your foundation with Rachel Duffy. Hi, Rachel. How are you? Hey, Michael. So happy to be here with you. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, it's uh, we're recording on Halloween. So uh, if you're listening, uh, we are celebrating Halloween on the Freshman Foundation podcast. We're both in costume. No, no, no. I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. Um, so I guess the first question, Rachel, I'll ask you, um, you know, you're, you're a parenting coach. So when you have parents who have teenage children, sort of what are some of the, the most common challenges you see uh, in, a, in those situations? Yeah, I think the teenage years are challenging because a lot of things are happening at the same time. And as parents, we often find ourselves in, a bit torn. On one hand, parents see their children struggle, whether it's struggling with changes in, in their bodies Mm-hmm. struggling with hormones, which we've all been through, struggling socially. There's this kind of, uh, the, our children themselves are getting torn between, you know, hanging out with their parents versus wanting to be with their friends more. It's kind of a natural stage of development. And as parents, A, it's it's downright difficult and painful to watch your child struggle and not be able to do much about it. So that's one challenge parents come to me for is how do I deal with this? Then throw on top of that, how do I help my child navigate situations that we didn't have when we grew up? Because guess what? It's such a different world now than when we were kids. We didn't have internet. We didn't have online anything. There was no social media. The challenges they face are really different from the mm-hmm. ones we did when we grew up. So it's actually, it's not that easy. We don't always know the answer. What what do I tell them to do? What do I tell them 
about online bullying? How do I help them um, connect, right? I just had a parent come to me literally this week where her school has adopted a kind of diversity and diversity, equity, and inclusion curriculum, which is great. And her son, who's, you know, 14, she's telling me he can't connect with any of the material they're learning Mm -hmm. because he doesn't even know how to relate to any of the content, which is kind of the opposite of what many uh, minorities have faced over the years. But, you know, as a parent, she's like, I don't know what to do with that. I don't know Mm -hmm. how to help him. I don't know how to connect with him. And he's getting very angry and withdrawn. And then sometimes I don't want to help him because he's not nice, you know? So there, it really is a huge challenge, I think, and an opportunity for us as parents to lean into that and really understand our children, understand them beyond their behaviors, which are not always pleasant and not always, you know, the way we would like to see them, not at their best potential or fullest potential, whatever that is. Mm-hmm. And it's an opportunity for us as parents to learn how to connect mm-hmm. without an agenda, how to connect to another person who's not always wanting to connect with you. But yeah, me- I, I love that. I mean, I, as a parent of a 14 and a 12 year old, um, I can completely relate to that. And they are all the things you said sort of hit for me, you know, the, the physical changes, the hormones, the body changes, right? Like just, just the the independence, all of it. And, you know, it is really hard, you know, to sort of see them transition into what is starting to be adults. And, uh, it's difficult. And I, and I, and I think too, that the last part that you said about understanding, you know, the one thing I couldn't help but think while you were talking about it was, like, what are the, what are some of the feelings that come with that for the parents? Like what, how do those things make them feel? Because that's really, I think is the source of the discomfort, right? Is that all these things that we don't know how to handle or are very strange to us or new or make us feel a certain way. And we're reacting to those feelings. I love that you brought that up. So first of all, most of us don't know how to feel because we weren't, Either we weren't allowed to feel too much when we were mm-hmm. growing up or at all, or we were told to shut down our feelings. So anytime big feelings come up, we don't know what to do with it. And add to that during this, I think as we watch our children kind of start developing their own, their opinions, their style, they're experimenting with things. Sometimes they're experimenting, not in, you know, not necessarily super risky behavior, but just the way they're expressing themselves doesn't sit well with us, right? And we have to navigate that sense of, oh, I don't have a little kid anymore who just does whatever I tell them to do. I don't have a kid that I can truly overpower, Yes. And there's, you know, there's a, it's a transition. It's a transition for us. So we have to a little bit go through that transition, grieve, so to speak, the chapter that has, is closing, has closed. 
and lean into the chapter that is now opening for us with our children. Because Mm -hmm. the truth of the matter is, even when one day they leave the nest, we're still going to be their parents. We still want that connection with them. We still want to be relevant Mm -hmm. in their lives, even when they don't have to, right? Even when we're not the ones who are providing a roof over their head and food on the table, we still want to be relevant in their lives. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's, 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 there's a, a little bit of fear there that comes sure there as you see your kids like, Oh, what if they don't need me anymore? What if they think I'm stupid? What if they think I'm an idiot and I don't, I'm just old and I don't understand their world and I don't know anything, you know, it brings up this fear of loss. Sure. Yeah. And I think I'll go back to what you said before about opportunity. Again, I'll sort of frame it from my own perspective. Like I've started to see that window open where I go, it's not going to be very long now before they're gone. Right. And so I try to remind myself too, that it's really important that I make my life a priority as much as I can, because in five or six years they're gone, but I'm still here. So like if I put everything on hold or I, you know, live everything that I do centers through them and I don't really make time for myself, that's going to be even harder, right? Like, because I see it in a 14 year old, he's gone all the time. He's with his friends. Like, I want to go out dad. I want to go do this. They don't want to sit home and hang out with me and that's okay. But like, it's like, it's it's like, oh my God, I'm not going to see these kids anymore. Now what am I going to do? You know, I think that's hard. And as a parent, a lot of people, their identity, so much of their identity is in being a parent that any sort of, it's sort of like I'll tie it to sports, right? Like I talk about this with athletes all the time. So much of their identity as athlete, right? That when things don't go their way, it there's like this ultra perfectionism and it just everything, it, it, it makes them feel like they're a failure. If my kid isn't looking and doing and saying and, and behaving the way that the, I want them to do so the world can see the reflection of me, the parent is going to have a really hard time with that. Absolutely. And I love that you brought up this topic of identity because one of the things I work on in my parent groups is we call it the identity switch because we really do have to examine what is our identity and what have we tied into that identity of mm-hmm. mom, dad, parent, you know, per, the person who's supposed to, I'm supposed to raise these kids to mm-hmm. live up to a certain checklist. And even if we're not, you know, there's no bad intentions behind it. We want the best for our children, but at the same time, we have to be super aware of that kind of undercurrent of expectation that we're putting on them, mm-hmm. that they then get to carry about who they are in the world. Are they being mm-hmm. good kids? Are they disappointing us in some way? And If so, what does that mean for their connection with us? Mm -hmm. How are they going to express that? Do they have room to talk about it with us? Are these conversations even allowed in our home? How do we process these feelings together? There's a ton that comes up around this. And you're right. Who am I if I am not mother to my children, if I am not father to my children, if I'm not a mentor, if I'm not central in their lives? Who am I? What is my worth? What do I bring to the table? Mm-hmm. Right? These are all the things that start coming up. And I think these teenage years, as you see your, the first glimmers of your kid 
mm-hmm. not needing you as much. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and I think for a lot of people, if we're not, if our identity is not parent, it's as, as an employee, right. As a, as a, as a professional. Right. So like talk, can you talk about like that? I'm curious about that. Like you get parents who come to you, they need help. You're helping them. Like how much of this sort of parental, the challenges they have or the interplay, it goes with work, right. That sort of guilt of like working, maybe traveling, providing, right. Like how much of that sort of gets weaved into the, the conversations you have. It's really, I feel like it's, it's inseparable because there's all the, when we think about who we are as humans, as adults, parenting is a big part of it and work is another big part of it. It's a huge Mm -hmm. part of our identity. And, you know, I feel like parenting or not, I feel, but I know parenting is a portal for us to know ourselves better. So is our work, the way we carry ourselves in work, the way we lead ourselves, our employees, the way we are led by our bosses. If we have bosses, Mm -hmm. these are all ways in which we have opportunities to really expand who we think we are, expand those narratives and stories that are in our heads about that we've inherited, right? Someone somewhere along the way, probably Mm -hmm. Told us who we were and what our place was in the world, and we internalized that. And now we carry this narrative around mm-hmm. and things about ourselves like, I'm a perfectionist, I'm a high achiever, I'm stubborn, I'm relentless, I'm fill in the blank. Yep, I love that. That becomes your identity, it becomes what you think is your personality, but really, what it is, it's just a narrative that you got somewhere along the way, long, long time ago that you've internalized so deeply that you think it's who you are. Yeah. And parenting challenges that. And so does work. Work challenges that about you. So yes, these things are intertwined. And um, again, I look at it as a beautiful opportunity for us to look beyond those narratives. Can we expand those stories, can we change them when it's necessary to change them? You know, when we've outgrown them and it's time to move on. Yeah. And we, and, and our work, I think is very similar in that in our respective, you know, audiences or clients, I do the same things, right? Like you, you, the, the young people that I work with come with this narrative, this story about themselves that they don't think they either can change Right. Or they don't think they need to change, and it really serves as a a, a defense mechanism, a protection, right? Like yes. to to understand that story and have like this like definition of yourself is one way to just sort of simplify things and say this is what I am. Then when you ask them to s- step away from that and like really challenge that and try to change, it is really uncomfortable. Now for a kid, it's probably easier because it's just less. There's just less history, right? There's less baggage. But when you're dealing with someone who's maybe 40 years old, had their own parents, their own teachers, their own coaches, right? All of that's been programmed into them. And now all of a sudden you've got this situation where you want things to go exactly the same way because this is what you know. And now all of a sudden it's like, it's not going the way I want it to. That's, that's really, really hard. And I think the word that comes to mind is control, 
right? Yeah. Like we all want to, like, there's like a, a power dynamic there of like, I'm the parent, you're the child. This comes up and like, what I say goes, cause I know better. And if you don't do it, then, you know, then you need to be punished. There's a, there's a, you know, some sort of, um, you know, there's no reward, whatever. Right. Like that's just like so common. So like, how do you start to get people to look at those stories differently? Yeah, that's a really great question. And so I think, first of all, kids versus adults is a little bit different because kids are not developmentally ready to challenge all of those stories. So I think with kids personally, I cut them some slack. Yeah. And uh, we have to remember as adults that part of why they have these narratives is because they think that was how they adapted to their environment. This is how they guaranteed that they are getting through their childhoods. They put together the pieces mm-hmm. of how they need to be, how they need to be in the world in order to guarantee our love. And that's how they adapted to their environment growing up. Now, I know that parents out there are listening and thinking, no, no, my children does my children don't need to be a certain way to guarantee my love. I understand that. But our kids don't. Our kids, because of them being super young and our every single word, every action carries so much weight mm. in their eyes. And they're just not developmentally mature to really draw the correct conclusions. So to them, they have to grow up and perform in certain ways in order to guarantee their spot in the family. This is how these narratives form. And it's normal. And at the same time, it's not healthy. Normal and healthy are not the same thing, right? So challenge it. And this is why I love that people like you are out there working with our kids to help our children challenge their own narratives. And then when it comes to us as adults, first of all, we have to become aware of those narratives and we have to become aware we got them for the same reasons. Yeah. There's a, go ahead. I'm sorry. We also to our own upbringings, right? So Yes, there is, I think, now that we're in the quote-unquote driver's seat, and every parent knows this, you have leverage over your kids, right? <laughs> Even though I know that every parent knows, just like our teens know which buttons to push on us, the mm. other way around is also true. We also know their buttons. So every parent has that leverage. The question is, do you use it? And why are you using it, right? Mm-hmm. Like, just become aware of what it is you're trying to get out of this relationship. Do you want just like a transactional relationship? I give you food and shelter and an allowance and you shut up and do what I say. That's that's a type of relationship, right? And it has- And that's real. That exists. It is real. Totally. And it has consequences. It has real consequences. Long-term for sure. (laughs) You know, if not short-term, I agree with you. Like there's just an an immense amount to kind of sort of dig into there. I think the first thing that I I thought is, you know, as a, as a, as somebody who deals with sports families, the dynamic around sports, right? This idea that parents say and do a lot of things. Some of them they, they do out of emotion right? They react to things. Sometimes they don't even realize what they're saying. The kids, they internalize everything. And so there's this 
what I would say is becomes a conditional relationship, right? The kid perceives that if I don't perform well, that I'm disappointing mom or dad, or I'm wasting mom or dad's money, or I'm not worth it. And the parents don't say those things. No, 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 no. And in fact, more so, they don't mean those things either. However, it is conditional. It is set up in that way where what kids are internalizing is if I'm good, then my parents love me. Right. And, and got it. it looks different in every family, but in one family, it's if I'm great at baseball, my dad spends time with me. Right. Yeah. Well, what will I do? I mean, every child really will bend themselves into a pretzel in order to have connection and attention from their parents. So mm-hmm. if I have to be the best at baseball, because that is why my dad spends time on Saturday, he co- he coaches the games, he comes to the games, he's interested, invested in the game. Okay, if that's what I have to do, then that's what I'm going to do. Now, like you said, it's not that parents come at it from the intention of, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to make it such that if my kid doesn't play baseball, then I'm not going to have anything to do with them. Of course not. Of course not. But we have to become aware that this is how it gets internalized by our children. So what do we do to kind of counter that? How do we provide an antidote to that? And what do we do? So I think it depends on, I mean, this definitely. (laughs) That's a big question. I know. I think there are some general rules. So number one is once we're aware that our children are constantly looking for our approval, mm-hmm. did I do good? Do you still love me even when I mess up in baseball? How about this? Do you love me when I tell you that after nine years of you investing thousands of dollars and driving me all over the country to go to ba- to games and you sacrificing all your weekends I tell you, I actually don't like baseball. I don't like it. I want to quit. Do you still love me now? Right? So becoming aware of these situations helps us as parents to be more, I think, be more intentional and mindful with the ways in which we connect with our children, with the messages that we send them, knowing they're probably going to twist these messages in some way. So how do I make sure I am telling them in a million different ways that they matter, that I don't need them to be a certain way in order for me to love them, that there is nothing they can do to add or take away from their worth. There's Mm -hmm. nothing they can do. I don't care if you're an A student or if you got into division one something in college that doesn't add to how much you matter in this family. So that that is the shift, I would say, is getting us to understand how to communicate that message. Yep. Yeah. Communi- to me, the one thing that I was thinking that always I feel like is sort of the, the, the bridge, right? The, sort of the magic wand is communication, right? Because, listen, at a certain level, you can say – anything and everything all the time, it still doesn't guarantee that the person on the other end, especially a young person, is going to interpret it in a way that makes them comfortable. 
Right. Right. But at least if you are coming for a pla- from a place of good intention and you're really trying to communicate yeah. those things in a healthy way on a regular basis, then you can like put your head on the pillow at night and say, hey, like I've really made every effort as a parent to change and make sure that my child feels cared for. Because at a certain point, the truth of the matter is we're not the only ones socializing them. Right. right. Like they got to go into the world. They spend more time at school with their friends than they do with us at a certain point. Right. So I, they could come home into my house for two hours and a night. And we can talk and all those great things. And then they're out with their friends for, you know, 12 hours in a day. And that has, and that was certainly the case in my, in my life. My family was, my friends had a greater influence over me at a certain point than my family did. That's right. And the fact that, you know, as children mature and certainly get into the teenage years, they start orienting towards their friends Mm -hmm. more than they orient towards their parents. How many times have I had my clients come to me with teenagers telling me my Mm -hmm. children told me I'm irrelevant. They treat me like I'm invisible, like I don't matter, like I'm an idiot. And I have to say, like, you know, it, it makes me cringe a little because I remember doing that to my parents too. Mm-hmm. So while it is normal in the sense that it is widespread, right? If your kid is orienting towards their peers more than they are towards you, certainly in the teen years, it's normal in the sense that, yeah, it's, it's everywhere. And you need to work to turn it around as much as you can maintain that connection with your child. doesn't matter how old your kids are right now. So even if you have children who are 18 right now and you're listening to this and thinking, oh, it's way too late. It is not too late. It is never too late. Work on creating the type of connection with your child that they will want to orient towards you even in the teenage years, even when they're grown-ups, I just had this come up yesterday in my family. I don't have teens yet. I have preteens. And we did, um, every year we do this like holiday photo and it goes on our Christmas card. And for the last two years, we didn't do it for obvious reasons. So this was our first year getting back to it mm-hmm. post-COVID. And, um, you know, all the people who are on my kind of holiday Christmas list are always telling me your family pictures are so amazing. I wait for your card every year. So like there's an expectation built in, right? Mm-hmm. This year, because my kids are, you know, they're not super little anymore. I told them they could wear whatever they wanted. I honestly, like I was also, I, I was just like, it was too much for me to start coordinating everyone's outfits. I was like, whatever, just wear whatever you want to wear. So yesterday we, you know, it's, the morning of photos, I kind of remind them today we have photos later. They're like, okay, yeah, yeah, great, great. An hour before I, I kind of prompt them, you know, you might want to start getting dressed. All three of them come out wearing stained sweatpants, basically (laughs) sweatpants, sweatshirts, crazy colors. One of my kids comes out with a hat and I had to take a deep breath and say to myself, okay, first of all, I told them they could wear whatever they wanted. So I need to mean that. And if I didn't mean that, I should not have said it. So I have to like breathe through that. Mm -hmm. Then my daughter comes to me for help. She wanted me to help her like brush her hair or whatever. We start brushing her hair and it's 
super tangly because she probably hasn't washed it in like four days. And it she flips a switch, right? Every parent out there knows that moment where your child out of the blue has a, like a volcano that you didn't see coming. Mm-hmm. And she melts down, melts down so hard that she says, I'm not coming. I'm not coming to the photos. Now, in my mind, I'm already like talking myself off the ledge of like, it's okay. If she's not coming, she's not coming. I mean, what am I going to do? I'm going to drag her there, right? Like with her puffy eyes and all right. mad. And the whole thing we arranged also after the photos we arranged, we made a reservation at her favorite restaurant because she's a bit of a picky eater. So she was like, I'm not going to the restaurant. I'm not going to the photos. I'm done. And she slams the door. And I think to myself, okay, Rachel, now what? <laughs> Where Where's my parenting coach right now, yeah, right? right. Like, okay, I got to walk my talk. So I go in there and I help her calm down from crying. And I tell her, listen, it's okay. If you don't want to come, you don't have to come. But then she starts crying that she doesn't want to stay home alone. So I'm like, okay, so you have to come with us. You don't have to take pictures, but you have to, I can't do both things. So finally she agrees to come along, but she's going to stay in the car. The entire way, it's like a 10 minute drive to where we're going the entire way. She's telling us that she's not, not going to take pictures. She's not going to the restaurant after the pit photos are done. I'm going to drive her home and the rest of them are going to go to a restaurant and I'm going to stay home with her on and on and on and on. And in my mind, I'm thinking I already paid so much money for this picture and I'm not even going to send it out. Right. Cause I'm not going to send out a holiday picture without my kid, one of my kids. So I'm just like, in my mind, I'm just like, you know, trying to s- stay present, mm-hmm. park the car. I get the other kids out and I, I tell her, listen to me, I'm going to crack the windows open a little bit. Right. And she looks at me and she says, three photos. I'm going to take three photos. Okay. Okay. <laughs> she ended up doing all the photos. We went to the restaurant. She was in the best mood. I said to her, dude, what was that about? And she's like, well, I, my mood changed. So I changed my mind. And I was like, okay, so what did you learn to myself? I said, what, what did I learn? I learned that I have to let her go through her process, even if it means that at the end of it, like I was not guaranteed any result at the end. Right. You know? It was painful. Sure. Right. But it was a moment, you know, it was a moment where without saying it, she said to me, thank you for letting me go through the process and just allowing me to have my moment. That's awesome. Because I, I, one, it's awesome because I got a kick out of the story because we've all been through it. Two, it's awesome because it's exactly parallel, parallel to what I see in sport, which is coaches, right? Who have to let their athletes solve their own problems, right? You can give them guidance, suggestions, support, but you can't solve the problem for them, right? And if you try to solve your child's problem for him or her, right, you know, by 
giving the solutions or by waffling on something you decided, right? You're not doing you're not doing anybody any favors. You're not doing the kid a favor because they don't know how to solve the problem, right? right. They don't know how to They're deal with adversity, right? Deal with their feelings. And as a parent, you're not doing yourself any favors because then you're contradicting yourself and creating a you know a bigger problem down the line by not being able to resolve it. And and I think the fact that you just sort of were able to deal with it in the moment, right? You said staying present. That's something I talk about all the time is you got to be able to breathe, right? That keeps us connected to the present and then find some way to make sense of the situation so you don't lose your cool. Right. Right. And it was, so this ties back into your question about identity because I have an identity of a really good problem solver and a fixer. So had I still hung on to that identity, I would have tried to fix this somehow. I would have tried to either fix her feelings or fix the fact that my photos were going to get ruined, right? So I I would have tried to problem solve instead of being in the problem. There's a problem right now. She's got these big feelings. She doesn't know how to work through. I have this idea of a photo shoot that's supposed to go a certain way of my family that's supposed to look a certain way for me to send out these cards at Christmas. And I have to be present to that without solving it. Just be in the problem and let her be in the problem. And you know what? She did figure it out for herself. She figured out that A, I can have different moods and that's okay. And I can change my mind when my mood changes. And that's also okay. So yeah, it required me to move from a fixer for that to be my identity to an identity of someone who has trust. I have trust. I trust her. She's going to figure it out. Maybe not today, but at some point, if I keep letting her practice, she will figure it out. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, As a parent, I'm a big believer in that. I'm a big believer in giving my kids a space to take responsibility for what's going on in their lives. Yeah. And listen, it's going to it's gonna correct at some point, unless it's a very, very extreme thing. There are going to be consequences that they face, yeah. Yeah. whether it's academically or what have you. And I always say to them, I said, listen, if your grades aren't good, why aren't they good? Well, right. are you trying your hardest? Well... Well, okay. So don't be surprised when you get a B plus back and not an A, right? Or how did you play? Or did you play? Or how was it? Well, uh, it was okay. Well, did you practice hard this week? Well, no, right? Like so, right. like you make choices, and and you got to know that it's okay to make whatever choices you want because the consequences don't really, if if I'm being honest, they don't affect me, right? right. Like. I was started talking about college, believe it or not, with my 14-year-old. This kind of starts coming up now, right? Wow, right? And he's a little young, but it's not that far off. And his <laughs> I'll tell I'll tell this is a funny story, right? Like, and maybe you could comment it just from your point of view. So, <laughs> so we're at we're at a, a, a soccer game, and my son has a soccer game in the morning, and then we have she has to go to another game uh, with my daughter in Princeton, New Jersey which is where Princeton University is. So she tells me, she says, well, you know, after the game, I'm going to see if Patrick wants to come to Lucy's game because then maybe we'll go to the campus to go to Princeton and, and you know, he'll, he'll see how nice it is and it'll sort of motivate him and inspire him. <laughs> and she's like, hey, Pat, hey, bud, you want to go to Lucy's game in Princeton? And he's like, 
no, I don't want to go to Princeton. He's like, what do you think? You, you're going to take me to campus and you're like, going to make me want to go there. Like he, he sniffed it out from a mile away. And it was like, listen, if you don't want to go to Princeton, that's cool. If you decide you want to go to Princeton in two years, you're screwed. Like, so it's up to you, not me. And if you go to Princeton or you go to community college, I personally don't care. Like whatever your journey is your journey and I'm there to support you. But I don't think that that's necessarily like the default setting in any parent, right? I think there's this hyper, hyper type A, you know, we got to do more, go, 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 more activities, more instruction, more people like me, more people like you, so we can get to the, the greatest colleges and make a lot of money and live this great life. And meanwhile, there's all the feelings inside that go with it that are really confusing and can make you really miserable just by virtue of having all that expectation put on your onto your head. Totally. Listen, I have my friends who have 14-year-olds and even younger are talking about, so we live on the West Coast, just outside San Francisco, mm-hmm. and my friends are talking about sending their kids to a boarding to boarding schools on the East Coast because they're the best education, right? Like the best boarding schools in our country mm-hmm. are not in not in Northern California. And I'm thinking to myself like that, I can see that hamster wheel, right? They, my friends are on this hamster wheel of being a type A, high performers, high achievers, and now dumping that on their kids because that is yet another achievement for the parents. That's right. My kid got into Harvard. My kid got into Yale. My kid is growing up with all these other kids who are all feeding into elite boarding schools who will then feed into elite colleges. And is that really the, is that really the best way for your kid? I don't know. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't, but can we even have the conversation about it versus parents determining in advance? No, you gotta, you have to do these things. You have to check these check boxes off. Otherwise, yeah. otherwise what, <laughs> you yeah. know? I'm, well, I'm a failure as a parent otherwise, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Exactly. But, but, but I think that that's the feeling. And, and I think it goes back to something you said really early on in the conversation, which is really trying to understand your child as a person, Yeah. right? What makes them tick? What right. makes them happy? What do you want to do with your life? What, right? Like we don't always know better. Right. <laughs> do you uh-huh. know what I'm saying? And if, it, my philosophy is, is if I create a supportive environment in the home yeah. and I support my children and I communicate with them and I tell them how I feel and I tell them I love them and I, I'm there for them and they feel safe, they're going to make some pretty good choices. I might not, not always agree with every choice, but chances are they're just by nature not going to want to disappoint me. They know the difference and they're going to do mostly the right thing. Are they going to test some of the boundaries? Sure. Are they going to take risks? Are they going to say, hey, I want to go to school and you know, I want to major in ceramics and I want to move to a commune in Vermont? They might, but if that makes them happy, why not? Why not? Why right. is it? Why does it have to be a certain way? Right. And I remember when I was growing up, I remember having this thought to myself that my parents don't know me better than I know myself. Sure, they know me. They know me very well. And mm-hmm. they see things that I didn't see because I was young and immature and I lacked experience in life. So for sure. But that's why this needs to be a collaboration, right? It's not, 
I'm the know-all be-all as the parent. And I'll tell you how, I'll tell you the moves to make so that you win this chess game, right? It's not a chess game. You don't need to win. You need to be, you need to know who you are and you need to be okay and comfortable in your own skin. So can I help you and ask you some really good questions that will get you thinking about things in a different way? Yeah, I can and I will. But ultimately, I have to, as a parent, I have to be okay with whatever choices my kid makes within the confines of the law, <laughs> right? <laughs> right. Like, assuming we're yeah. not raising psycho killers, we have to be okay with their choices because the truth of the matter is they are not our do-over. They are not the opportunity for us to fulfill all the potential that we didn't fulfill in our lives because we didn't have the opportunity. Yeah. Well, well, you've just, I mean, you've just hit the nail on the head as it relates to sports. I think that that is the number one issue is parents who are trying to live vicariously through their children because of some lack of success, or maybe it was a major success in athletics, in an athletic career, and your child is a reflection of that. Or, hey, I know what it felt like when I didn't get to go play a sport in college, and I really regret that, so I don't want you to regret that. Like, I want to push you to achieve at that level that I never did. And right. let me just trust me when I tell you that's really important. And exactly. the kids look at the parents are like, like right. you know, some of them do buy into it, right? And, and it creates a really, really unhealthy dynamic. It's but it can. I mean, if the kid's motivated and the motivations are aligned, it can work. But there's just so much dumped onto the kids that, right. frankly, it's the main reason why I exist right in the world is to be able to sort of bridge the gap between parent and child because they think there is a misunderstanding about how to, you know, how to address these situations. Because like you said, it's like, you know, right. you're, you're, and you're, you're projecting onto them. That's the thing. And it comes from a really, um, oftentimes it comes from a good place of, I did not have opportunity because I grew up one way. Meanwhile, I created all this opportunity and I want to give it to you. So don't squander it mm. because I didn't have this opportunity. I don't know if you, you were told this as a kid. I, I did not like my mom's cooking and I wouldn't eat. And oftentimes my parents would tell me that they're starving kids in Africa. Now, that is true that there's starving kids in Africa. And, you know, it's true that I had, you know, a better upbringing than those starving kids in Africa. And it's also true that that was irrelevant to me in that moment, right? That my parents were not seeing me. Mm -hmm. They were seeing the opportunities that they were giving me that I was, quote unquote, squandering away, that I had good, healthy, fresh, homemade food on the table. Meanwhile, all these other kids, you know, mm -hmm. are eating whatever they're eating, boxed mac, mac and cheese. And I'm laughing because I have, I make my kids boxed mac and cheese. Me too, too. because it works. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and there's no shame in it. But you know what I'm saying? It's like, it was another thing that got, that it's just a little way in which we dump on our children and we expect them, you should be grateful, right? Why aren't you grateful? Look at all this abundance that you have. Meanwhile, there's, you know, children in Ukraine who are living in, in war, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, the word there that I always highlight 
is one of my least favorite words in the English language is should, right? Yeah. Uh, you should be grateful. You should do this. You should do that. Like I should do this. Like I should have like, no, like why, why should you have right? Because like there was an expectation create, you know, created of you or, or put onto you. I hate that word, you know, and I use it too for myself. I should have done this, but like some people are just so hypercritical of themselves as a parent. Like I you second guess yourself or they put it onto their kids and they make them feel guilty. Like, Oh, that you didn't eat to me in that situation. If my kid doesn't eat my cooking, I'd be like, good, don't eat. Either, either go, go figure it out yourself or right. get hungry and eat what I made. Right. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like th- 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 there's also a solution, right? Like I don't have to force the issue. So I, I just, I, I think, listen, when we have all these stresses to be fair to parents like you and me, when you have stress in your life, when you've got yeah. bills to pay, you've got kids to get different places, you got a job, maybe you have a business, you know, maybe you've got other family stuff going on. I just went through some family stuff. Yeah. The stress really piles up and it's really hard to sort of compartmentalize that, right? It all sort of runs together, right? And so, can I mean, can you talk about that? Like how how might you help a parent? And I do want to have you uh, give you a chance to talk about how you coach parents, like talk about the process. But like, how can you, how do you help parents make sense of the idea that sometimes that discomfort or dissatisfaction or the feelings they have in a, a situation with a kid aren't actually tied to the kid. They're more tied to the other stuff that's going on. Yeah. And so first of all, I think we all need to be way more compassionate towards ourselves Mm -hmm. first, before we even get talking about our kids and having compassion for them. It starts with us because the truth is the people we judge the most is ourselves. And the people we're harsh on is ourselves. Mm -hmm. And this is why we have mom or dad guilt because we're so harsh on ourselves. We're so afraid of disappointing our children, our own parents, our spouse, whoever it is. And really we don't even pay any attention to what it is that we need for ourselves. Can we not disappoint ourselves? That's it goes back to your point on, I got to do stuff for myself because before I know it, my kids are going to be out the door and then who am I? Right. So it's about this internal process of really raising ourselves, if you will. And then we can expand that into how do I, now that I've developed connection, compassion towards myself, now how do I work on that with my kids as well? And so the, the parents who come to me for the most part, if I could, I mean, you know, success looks different in every family, right? Because our families are different. But if I could you know, kind of put it in a nutshell, I would say parents just want things to be a little easier. They want connection. They want to know that they're doing a good job raising emotionally healthy kids, right? Like that's all we want. So that one day when they do fly out the nest, A, they don't fly that far that they never want to see us again. And B, they have the skills they need to be, you know, successful adults in the world. So Mm -hmm. that's really what all parents want. But Things get in the way of that. Things like, I don't have support, right? Either I don't have a supportive spouse or I don't have a spouse at all, or I'm juggling 20 jobs and I have, you know, all the stress and anxiety. We have stuff. So we have circumstances that genuinely make things hard for us. So that's one thing that gets in the way. Another thing that gets in the way is our kids don't listen to us. 
unless we yell or threaten or do something, right? So how do I learn how to communicate with them in a way that they do listen and I don't have to be yelling all day and I don't have to be compromising boundaries because boundaries are necessary. And then there's also the parents who come to me and say, listen, I'm trying to do the work. Like I'm really, I'm on board, I'm committed, I'm doing the work, but it isn't working. And that for the most part is about us becoming aware of the things you and I talked about dumping onto our children, the expectations that we inherited from our environment. How do we dump those on our kids unintentionally? So it's becoming aware of that and breaking those cycles. So when you take all these things together, that is the work that, that I do, that I find myself doing with the parents to me. Um, And, you know, some of them come to me with very young kids. Some of them come to me with teens and some of them come to me when their children are adults. So, you know, this work can be done at any phase of your life. Do you find that those people who come to you, is it usually in a sense of urgency to fix a problem or is it something that's a bit more proactive? I think what there's a couple things. One is there is a sense of urgency. The parents who are experiencing their children not listening, those parents have a fire under their butt because something's got to give. They're exhausted. They're overwhelmed. They got no gas in the tank. They Mm -hmm. have no patience. They know something's got to change because this is unsustainable. And then there are parents who come with this just gnawing feeling in the pit of their stomach that I am not doing a good job here. Something is not working and I don't know what it is and I need help. So it's urgent, but from a different place, from a place of I am seeing the bigger picture here and I need to change the trajectory of this ship. Okay. And and, and so I guess, you know, the motivation to come to somebody like you, first of all, I think, you know, and, and, and I've been through coaching and therapy and all these different things that require, a, you know, a, a, a solid dose of humility, right? Yeah. As a parent to like drop your guard and say like, listen, like I need someone to help me, right? right? Because that's an admission of like, maybe I'm not as good as of a parent or as a person as I thought I was. Yeah. But making that decision to come to you is one, but then they get into the process of coaching, right? Which, which I would assume you could tell me more requires them to be actively involved and do things and challenge themselves and take risks emotionally. So what's that like? I mean, is there resistance? Do you see parents who get into it and get uncomfortable or like, what? just talk me through that. Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I think this, so first of all, you don't have to have reached rock bottom before mm-hmm. you ask for help. Like, why do we do that? Like, sure, you can. You can. I ha- I help people who are at rock bottom, but why would why would you do that to yourself? Right? Mm-hmm. Don't don't wait for rock bottom. What I ask parents to do because I know how busy we all are. All I ask is that you come one hour a week. If you can commit to one hour a week, we can change your family. And yes, of course, you have to practice in the middle of the week and, you know, when you're not being coached on a call, but really the way I teach people how to change is incorporated into their everyday experiences. In other words, there isn't anything you need to do beyond what you're already doing. You just have to do it differently. 
So yeah, it takes some practice. I, I just had this mom who's been in my group for a while. And when she came in, she has, uh, she had a kid who she has two kids, but her younger one was, they were spanking him all the time because he was defiant, unpredictable, explosive. These are words they used to describe this kid. And when I told her, how about we try correcting his behavior without punishing him? She thought I was, I literally lost my marbles. She was like, are you nuts? Like, what do you mean? There's consequences when you call, when you, when you're rude to your parent or when you don't listen, there's consequences. And I said, well, let's just try this. And we worked together and I got to give her credit that she came and did the work even when she had doubt. Slowly but surely over time, things started to change between her and her son. And fast forward to now, she leaves me messages. Yesterday, she left me a message. She said, listen, we were at church and it's not like he was sitting the whole time at church, paying attention and listening, but I caught him trying. I caught him trying to pay attention. I caught him trying to pray. I caught him trying to do his best. And I appreciated that. And it, I never was able to even see that he was trying before you and I started working together. So for me, I was like, I'm done. That's it. This is, this is the only, the reason for my existence. Yes. That that kid who will never know me, by the way, right? Like I, I don't even know what he looks like. If he walked by me on the street, I wouldn't recognize him. But that kid now has a chance to grow up with a mom who can see him and connect with him and appreciate him and doesn't have to spank him because she lost her own temper, right? Yes. So, That's all. You know, to me, like that, that is the deeper purpose and the deeper reason for why I do this work. So when you come into my groups, does it get uncomfortable sometimes? Yeah, it does. But let me tell you this, it's already uncomfortable. It's How uncomfortable is it right now? <laughs> right. And how much discomfort can you ultimately let go of? That is right. really how you have to look at it. It's not how much discomfort do I have to face, but how much do you get to stop facing? Well, it, it sounds like that's exactly what happened with your client too. She was able to like put things into perspective, right? Like sometimes we just get so wrapped up in our own stuff. You can't just like you describing that scene of her like, seeing him, like not just seeing him for who he is and allowing him to be who he is and appreciating that rather than always. And, and this is something that I'm really big on as a coach and as a parent, seeing the good, seeing yeah. the positive, seeing the strengths and, and coaching and parenting from a place of strength rather than always like assuming that what's been done that's good doesn't need to be spoken about. Right. Because that's what you're supposed to do. You should do. And right. every little knit and every little flaw and every little mistake you make is pointed out and harped on. Like right. nobody, me, right. you, 47, 77, seven years old, nobody wants to be treated that way. And we do it all the time. Right. And it happened to her because she started opening up compassion towards herself. She started seeing herself. And that is what enabled her mm -hmm. to too. I love that. I love that. So as we as we wind down here, um, I 
This tends to be a hard question, I guess. I, I ask one last question of everybody. It's usually this, it's, it's the same, maybe with a little bit of different variation, depending on the world you, you operate in as a professional or person. But the question I ask is, if you had to leave just one piece of advice to the parents listening, like what would that piece of advice be? I think the one thing for you to remember as a parent is to put things, to look at the bigger picture. I think that is the best piece of advice I would give parents in general. Look at the bigger picture. Sometimes we get caught up in the moment and things seem really important, or we have this like death grip on a specific outcome. And 99.9% .9 of the time, it isn't like that. So zoom out for a moment, take a breath, and take a look at the bigger picture and the bigger context of what it is you're up against in this moment with your child. Because I promise you, most of the time, there's more to it than what you think in that moment. So that would be my one advice. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And I totally agree with that, right? I think sometimes we make them out to be, you know, we tell ourselves stories about how big of a deal this is when it's really like nobody really cares, right? We think people are looking at us and we're like, oh, we're worried about what Mrs. Jones and Mrs. Smith are going to say. And then like, they're worried about their own kid and their own problems. And like, they don't care what we do. Right. So like really just sort of like trying to keep it into perspective, like it's going to be okay. Right. <laughs> and so with that, Rachel, I, I want to thank you for, um, being a guest on the show. I love talking to you. Thank you for having me on your podcast. I'm looking forward to that. And uh, I'd love to keep talking. I think we sort of sing from the same songbook. Yeah, absolutely. I can't wait for, um, I can't wait for this episode to release and the episode on my podcast to release. Uh, and I, I really am so grateful that our paths crossed because I agree with you. I think we're both doing really similar work in the world, ultimately in different, yeah. you know, it looks different on the outside, but really deep down, it's very similar. Agreed. Thank you so much again. Thank you. So what's your biggest takeaway from my conversation with Rachel Duffy? My biggest takeaway is that connecting with our children unconditionally can be really hard. Kids can perceive their parents' involvement in sports as a form of conditional love and it's our job as parents to alleviate that as much as possible. My suggestion to parents is to explore why we feel the way we do about our kids' sports experiences. Often, our discomfort is not about them, it's about us. I wanna thank Rachel for her kind generosity and the wisdom she shared with the Freshman Foundation community. You can check out Rachel's Unscrew You podcast at unscrewyoupodcast.com and you can check out Rachel on Instagram at Rachel Duffy here. To learn how mental performance coaching can help your mind work for you rather than against you, visit michaelvhuber.com. Thank you for listening. We'll see you back soon for episode 52. Mike Huber is the founder and owner of Follow the Ball Coaching located in Fairhaven, New Jersey. He is a mental performance coach and business advisor dedicated to serving athletes just like you reach their full potential on and off the court. The Freshman Foundation is all about 
helping you get to the next level. For more information, follow along on Instagram at The Freshman Foundation. Please subscribe. Give us a like on iTunes, Spotify. Leave a review. Tell a friend. Most importantly, come back in two weeks. Ready to get better.